This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. In 2 Chronicles 36, 16, the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy, there was no cure. There was no cure. This is what Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ is the cure. He's the cure from the disease of sin. He's the remedy for sin. But when a person puts Christ away from him and says he will not have Christ to be his master, he will not have Christ to be his Lord, he will not have Christ to be his savior, then there's no cure. He's the only cure. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. No man is cured from his sin to be able to come to the Father but by me. He said, there's no remedy for the sentence of hell. There's no remedy for the judgment of sins when Jesus Christ is put away from a person. When a person has been told so many times that he's a sinner and that he needs to receive Christ and that Christ died for his sins and that Christ can give him a new heart so he'll stop sinning and the person just gets harder and harder and harder. Then God says, Proverbs 29.1, he that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy and that without cure and that without healing, suddenly destroyed and that without a healing, without a cure, suddenly destroyed and that without the healing of Jesus Christ and that without the healing of the cross. At that point, God says, Isaiah 1.5, Isaiah 1.5, why should you be stricken anymore? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. And so God reaches a point as he has here in Amos when he says, I'm tired of correcting you. I'm tired of chastening you. It's no longer worth my time because you've decided that you do not want to be changed by Jesus Christ. And so God says at this point, Revelation 22.11, Revelation 22.11, he that's unjust, let him be unjust still. 
He which is filthy, let him be filthy still. It's a terrible thing to hear God say that. It's a terrible thing to hear God say, I'm done. It's a terrible thing to hear God say, Revelation 22, 11, he that's unjust, let him be unjust still. He that's filthy, let him be filthy still. It's a terrible thing to hear Jehovah Jesus say in Matthew 15, 14, Matthew 15, 14, let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. When Jesus said that in Matthew 15, 14, let them alone, he was telling the disciples to let them be. Beyond hope, beyond hope to the point where God gave them up in Romans 1.24, Romans 1.24, where God, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. What were the people like when God said that, that he had had it with them? Well, what they were like is verse five, verse five, Amos 4, 5, verse five. They were offering a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven and proclaiming and publishing free offerings. This liketh you, this is what you like. O you children of Israel, saith the Lord God. When God said for them that they were offering a sacrifice with leaven, leaven is always a symbol of sin in the Bible. God never wanted any leaven to be in the sacrifices that were offered to him. So now, why is God saying that they were just to go ahead with your offerings of sacrifice with leaven? He's saying that the people were religious. Religion, they were not lacking in. Lots of religion, but sinful in their religions. So God invited them, just keep on mixing your sin with your religion. God invited them, keep on with your religious offerings of thanksgiving with sin. God was saying, keep on being religious and sinful. This is what God meant when he said in verse four, verse four, come to Bethel. Bethel means the house of God and transgress, transgress. So God was emphasizing here that they were structured, very structured. They were disciplined, very disciplined in their religion as God said, as God said in Amos 4, 4, verse four, bring your sacrifices every morning, every morning, without missing one morning. They were punctual, they were consistent in their religion. Now, in the next five verses here, the next five verses, God tells all that he tried to bring the people back, and he tried to bring them back, and with one judgment after the other, and God just kept saying, this didn't work, and this didn't work, and this didn't work. First, God brought a famine. No food is a judgment on the people in verse six. Verse six, I also have given you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and want of bread in all your places. Yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord. And after the famine judgment, God said the sad words, yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord. And then he brought drought, no rain as a judgment to bring the people back to God in verses seven and eight, verses seven and eight. I also have withholden the rain from you, wherein there were yet three months to the harvest. I caused it to rain on one city and caused it not to rain on another city. Another piece was rained upon, the other piece whereupon it rained not withered. So two or three cities wandered unto one city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. Yet have you not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Again, you feel this great sadness on God's part. And then in order to bring the people back to him, God brought mold and mildew and, and little animals, devouring animals like caterpillars and locusts and 
and then a hot, dry wind on their crops that destroyed their gardens and their trees. In verse 9, verse 9, I have smitten you with a blasting and mildew and your gardens and your vineyards and your fig trees and olive trees increased and the palmer word devoured them. Yet have ye not returned unto me. A real sense of failure on the part of God. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. And then forth with a goal of just breaking the rebellion, bring the people back. God brought disease and sickness, a pandemic, and war to the people that killed their young men and their horses and brought a stench of death in the cities. In verse 10, verse 10, I have sent among you the pestilence after the manner of Egypt. Your young men have I slain with the sword and have taken away your horses and I have made the stick of your camp to come up into your nostrils. Yet have ye not returned unto me. Frustration on God's part. And last, God tried to bring the people back to him by overthrowing their cities with a natural disaster, probably an earthquake or fire from the sky. He mentions Sodom in verse 11. I have thrown, overthrown some of you as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and you were as a firebrand plucked out of the burning. Yet have ye not returned unto me. Admits, God admits, I failed, I tried, I wanted, I couldn't bring him back. And after all these judgments, God brought in the lives on Israel, he brought them all in. He brought, he brought all these judgments into their lives. Now he turns to his last persuasion. The last persuasion, the last card in his deck God takes. After that, there's nothing left. And this is why God says in verse 12, verse 12, Therefore, thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee. The last thing that God is going to do and he leaves us in the dark in an ominous warning. And he's talking about death. He's talking about death. He's talking about the Hebrews 9.27. Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed unto men once to die and after this judgment. He's talking about death when he says in verse 12, verse 12, therefore thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. So God is saying one, is, one thing is for sure, and that is, death is not a permanent closing of the eyes. All eyes will open again after death. And it's what a person sees when he opens up his eyes that's the subject of what God is talking about in the book of Daniel. In the book of Daniel, verse 12, Daniel 12, 2, Daniel 12, 2. Many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Every person is gonna open up his eyes after death. For some after death, when they open up their eyes, they're going to see what Job talked about as he was dying, Job, Job 19.26, Job 19.26. And though after my skin, worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, not another, though my reins be consumed within me. Isaiah spoke about opening his eyes after death, and he says what he saw, he made him sing. In Isaiah 26, 19, Isaiah 26, 19, thy dead men shall live, together with my dead body shall they arise. Awake and sing, ye that dwell in the dust, for thy dew is as the dew of herbs and thy earth shall cast out the dead.
David said, David said about his own death in Psalm 1715, Psalm 1715, as for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I'll be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Not everyone is gonna open their eyes and see those things that Job talked about, that Isaiah talked about, that David talked about. Some will open their eyes to see torment, to see pain, to see, see shame, to see guilt, to see everlasting contempt. As it says in Luke 16, 22, Luke 16, 22, it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Everyone will open their eyes again after death. Some will open their eyes and they'll see King Jesus in heaven. Wonderful sight, a beautiful sight. As Isaiah said, Isaiah 33, 17, Isaiah 33, 17, thine eyes shall see the king in his beauty. They shall behold the land that is very far off. Some very religious people will see Jesus also as judge and never see him again as they're cast into hell in Matthew 7, 21, Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied, preached in thy name, and thy name hath cast out devils, and thy name done many wonderful works, and then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. They're very religious, very religious. They're preaching in Jesus' name. They're casting out devils, and yet they're cast into hell. So Jehovah Jesus says to his people to get ready to die, prepare to meet Jehovah Jesus in verse 12 of Amos 4, Amos 4, 12. Therefore, thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God. He doesn't tell the people what's gonna happen they die and they stand in judgment. He leaves it in the realm of the unknown. He wants to leave it there. He wants to create a sense of fear. He does. He wants to create a sense of uneasiness over their outcome and their judgment to create. He wants to create an insecurity because all of that fear and uneasiness and that insecurity after death and all of that has a design. And the design is to bring the people back to God. And that's what this is what Jehovah Jesus is doing today when the lost are asked what's gonna to happen to them after they die, and they really don't know, it's all really? And it's a persuasion because the time is still available. It's not too late yet to get right with God. And so God gives this one final parting word to Israel in verse 12. In verse 12, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. So how does a person do that? How does a person prepare to meet God? I remember speaking with a, with a lost Holocaust survivor and I told her that I was going to, I had to rush off to London, I said to her. She asked me why, why do you have to go to London? I told her it was because I had a very dear Jewish friend who was turning 90 years old and that he was much closer to death than I was and he wasn't ready to die, I said. He wasn't prepared to die. And she asked why. And I said, because he hadn't come to Christ yet and I and my Holocaust friend, who's also close to 90 years old, she became enraged. She hit the ceiling, how dare you? I lit a fuse that she was so angry with me and all I said was my friend in London was not prepared to die. And how does a person get prepared to die? How does a person prepare to meet God? Jesus said, 
In, in, in John 8, 24, John 8, 24, I said therefore unto you that you shall die in your sins if you believe not that I am, you shall die in your sins. To die in your sins means to be cast into hell after meeting God after death. To prepare to meet God, a person has to believe that Jesus is the I am, the Jehovah God who was in the burning bush in Exodus 3, who said to Moses in Exodus 3, 13, Exodus 3, 13, Moses said unto them, to God, behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, they shall say unto me, the God, and I shall say unto them, the God of your fathers has sent me unto you. They shall say to me, what's his name? What's his name? And what shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. He said, thus shall you say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, thou shalt Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. To meet God means that a person has to, to come to believe that Jesus is the great I am, he is the Lord God, he is the God of Abraham, he is the God of Isaac, he is the God of Jacob. Those are the names of Jesus, Jehovah Jesus, who said in verses 11 and 12 of Amos 4, verses 11 and 12, therefore thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee, prepare to be thy God, for lo, he that forms the mountains, the creator, and creates the wind and declares unto man what is his thought that maketh the morning darkness and treadeth the high places of the earth. The Lord, the Lord God of hosts is his name. In order for a person to prepare to meet his God, he must come to know, verse 13, verse 13, that the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. In order for a person to prepare to meet his God, that person must be able to answer this question. Answer this question of Proverbs 30, verse four. Proverbs 30, verse four. Who hath ascended up into heaven or descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has bound the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name, if thou canst tell? In order for a person to prepare to meet God, that person must come to Jesus as God. He must come to Jesus as a holy God and himself as a dirty, rotten sinner, begging for the mercy of Jesus and submitting to Jesus as Savior to wash him from his sins, make him white as snow, forgive him of all his sins. And when a person comes to Jesus, that person has the promise from Jesus himself where he said in John 6.37, John 6.37, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Just like the hymn says, the hymn says, did ever saint find this friend Forsake him? No, not one. No, not one. Or sinner find that he would not take him? No, not one. No, not one. This chapter opened in verse one, speaking about the poor and the needy. And this week, I, I, the same rabbi friend, I sent him a short video by Michael Brown. And my friend, my friend uh, asked me, who is this Michael Brown? And I sent him another 
video by Michael Brown in which he explained who he was and how he was a, a rock band shooting large doses of heroin. And he found Jesus who changed his life. And this is why my friend wrote me, Oi, Tom, did you see his background? Way too sad. Too many Jews who had difficult younger years end up following this stuff. You see a pattern? And I wrote my friend back a letter that wrote, read, Yes, I do see a pattern of the small number of Jews who are in great distress to the point of making them poor and needy, and who, while coming to Jesus, are being oppressed and crushed by other Jews for coming to Jesus. This is the pattern described by the prophet Amos, verse 1. Amos 4, 1. Hear this word, you kind of Bashan, your mountain of Samaria, which oppress the poor and crush the needy. Oppress the poor and crush the needy. The most poor, the most needy, are those who may have millions in the bank, but they are, Matthew 5, 3, Matthew 5, 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They may be rich on paper, but they're poor in spirit. They're so poor in spirit that they're coming to Jesus as dirty, rotten sinners. They're needy in spirit, as needy as the riches on the, the richest man on earth, King David, who said in Psalm 109, 22, I am poor and needy. This is just the person who is on his way to finding the Lord Jesus Christ, who the prophets spoke of in Isaiah 25, 4, for thou hast been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy. Jehovah Jesus said about the poor and the needy in the book of Isaiah 41, 17, the poor and needy seek, seek water, there is none. Their tongue faileth for thirst. I, the Lord, will hear them. The God of Israel will not forsake them. Yes, I see a pattern clearly that only those who see themselves as dirty, rotten sinners come to, to God for his solution to sin, which is the sacrifice of his son, Elohim, Godhead, Adonai, Jesus. The question for you, my friend, is can you answer King Solomon's question of Proverbs 30, verse 4? Who's ascended up into heaven or descended, gathered a wind in his fist, bound the waters in a garment, established all the ends of the earth? What's his name? What's his son's name that thou canst tell? Can you answer, I asked him, can you answer the question that all the Jews would ask? That question that Moses knew said all the Jews would ask in Exodus 3.13, Exodus 3.13, what is his name? What shall I say unto them? Can you progress to the, above the confession of not knowing his name, but only calling him Hashem, which means the name? Do you know his name? Do you know his name is Jesus? And I signed it, Tom, your true friend, pointing you to the true God, and so we come to the close now of Amos chapter 4, and the closing question of the chapter is, are you prepared to meet God? The lost, to the lost, that question is, are you prepared to meet thy God and not be cast into hell because you haven't believed into Jesus Christ by making him your Savior and your lost? For the saved, the question is, are you prepared to meet thy God and have him say unto you, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Or as the hymn puts it, how long has it been since you talked with the Lord and told him your heart's hidden secrets? How long since you prayed? How long since you stayed on your knees till the light shone through? How long has it been since your mind felt at ease? How long since your heart knew no burden? Can you call him your friend? How long has it been since you knew that he cared for you? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the faithfulness of Amos, your prophet, Lord, to bring your words. Help us, Lord, to take them to heart in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.